Hello and welcome to the Congo Research Group podcast. My name is Jason Stearns. I'm the director of the Congo Research Group. We're a nonprofit, independent think tank based at New York University Center on International Cooperation. And uh, every week I sit down with a thinker, intellectual, academic, businessman to take a deep dive into Congolese politics. This week I'll be speaking with Tom Periello. He is the United States Special Envoy to the Great Lakes region and he's just returned from a trip to Kinshasa. Enjoy. Tom, you just came back from a trip to Kinshasa. Uh, you went there before the trouble started this week, before the protests, uh, if I understand correctly, to figure out what's going on with the dialogue and the way forward. Of course, since you uh, left Kinshasa, there have been now violent protests in the streets, uh, at least 40 people dead. Um, the political offices of numerous political parties burned, including the UDPS. Um, are we, is there still a dialogue that is possible or is this completely off the rails now? How do you evaluate the current political process? Well, uh, there has to be a dialogue because dialogue has to be uh, the solution to finding a consensus path forward. Uh, I think everyone understood there were some positive aspects of the attempt so far and some real shortfalls, particularly on inclusivity. And now we're at the point everyone hoped we would avoid. Uh, the government had over two years to prevent this from happening by getting elections moving, as is unambiguously called for in the Constitution. Even more recently, there were clear steps they could have taken to make the dialogue more inclusive. My trip here, uh, trip there this month was uh, focused almost entirely on how to make the dialogue work, uh, how to make it inclusive enough. Uh, and there were key opposition leaders and civil society groups that were ready to come to the table if political charges were dropped and media access was reopened. Uh, so we have to go uh, back to those same questions. Is the government ready to take the steps to make the dialogue more inclusive? And is the opposition willing to be true to its word and join if, if those standards are met? Um, but obviously once you have this kind of uh, situation where there have been lives lost on both sides, uh, obviously mostly civilian lives, uh, and property damage clearly of a politically targeted nature. Uh, that only deepens the toxic reservoir of distrust that we already had in Kinshasa, um, but we have no choice. We've got to find a way to bring people together and find the path forward. So on the inclusivity issue, I mean, the big inclusivity problem is that the UDPS, Etienne Tshisekedi, and the G7, Moïse uh, Katumbi, or the Rassemblement with other actors, but I believe those are, at least in my view, the most two most important actors, are refusing to come to the table, and they've given certain conditions, in particular uh, the facilitator stepping down, the release of political prisoners, and I believe the dropping of charges as well against Moïse Katumbi. Do you think, are those the conditions that you would cite, would, that you would push with the government as well? Those are the conditions we have been uh, pushing uh, very clearly with the government, uh, and they've been around for some time, uh, in particular the protecting of open political space. Um, we've supported Mr. Kojo, we've supported the African Union process, uh, and quite frankly, we have spent over a year telling the opposition they should go to dialogue, uh, and I think they would have been better off going to dialogue. But just to be clear, do you think that Kojo is still a viable negotiator facilitator? You know, we support uh, the African Union's efforts and, and Mr. Kojo to bring this together. It is a challenge when uh, one side of a negotiation has rejected the facilitator. Uh, and I think we all are continuing to look at ways to build confidence in that process, including uh, with a greater role for individuals that are on the support team. But it's a subject of much discussion here this week. Okay. Okay. 
the other issue has been elections. Now, for a long time, everybody obviously said elections have to be held within the constitutional framework. I've now seen the U.S. position shift slightly in the sense that they're now saying, if I'm not mistaken, that that should happen as soon as possible uh, and mention of 2017. Is that is that correct? Has there been a shift in the position? Well, look, there's a fairly limited number of issues uh, that were always going to be on the agenda for discussion and a dialogue. Uh, one was the question about when can credible elections technically be held. A second is what the government looks like between December 19th right. of this year and that time. Uh, a third is how do you guarantee that everyone has an open opportunity to compete in the elections, uh, meaning protection of open political space. Um, and, you know, four, how do you make all sides, uh, including President Kabila, feel confident in the guarantees of whatever is, is part of the deal? So we've known the moving parts of this for some time. Um, and I think uh, to the credit of those who did choose to join the dialogue, including Vital Kamari and others, uh, that helped to draw out some technical information, which, which did show that elections could be held in 2017. Uh, and that there are going to be some trade-offs based on the sequencing and uh, and tranching of, of elections. Do you think, so there's also been a proposal come forward by Lucha in particular with, with Dr. Mukwege saying that in theory you could do the voter registration and elections almost at the same time. Is that something, and, and therefore also hold elections still in 2016, do you think that's a viable option? Uh, we deeply respect the principles underlying uh, the, that that proposal and the desire to stick to the December 19th time frame of this year for elections, we have not found technical experts who have validated that that is possible. The, some people say that the OIF, uh, the Organisation de la Francophonie, said this was possible? Uh, the experts we've met with from OIF have made very clear that elections could be held in 2017 well within 2017, depending on decisions that were made, uh, but we did not find anyone to confirm the possibility of elections with a new voter roll being held this year. So, you know, pretty soon we're going to go back to a dialogue, probably. Um, they're supposed to reconvene, and from what I understand, a lot of the issues have been hammered out. They're still working on the electoral calendar, I guess, is the big issue, remaining issue of the dialogue. What would happen if, you know, now, let's say, for example, in a couple of days from now, Kojo, together with Kamara and Kabila, walk out of a room saying, we found an agreement, all the issues, um, and here's the agreement, and we're now going to have a transitional government to implement this agreement, and they do so, but uh, the Rassemblement is outside of that, and they denounce that. Would, do you think the support group and the facilitation should endorse that deal? We're a long way from there right now, and we need to get a lot closer to it. But I think uh, everyone um, involved in the process has been very clear that the current uh, participation is not inclusive enough and that there's going to need to be an effort uh, to include those outside. And I think there's also an understanding of many that that is not just an, a matter of various political elites, including opposition leaders. It's also a question about the Congolese people themselves. Uh, it's very clear that President Kabila's mandate ends on December 19th this year. Even the government has been clear that the constitutional mandate ends then. So if you're in a situation of trying to figure out a consensus path, sovereignty lies with the people of Congo, and the question is, what is it that they can accept as a path forward? Certainly the closest thing we've had as, to a proxy for that is the uh, Senko and the Catholic bishops, 
There's no question they tried every possible way to engage in good faith with these negotiations and multiple times have had to suspend uh, their participation uh, in the dialogue process. Um, and I think when we look at this from the United States standpoint, I think we know where our principles are. And as a pragmatic matter, the question is, is this something that is broadly supported by the Congolese people? And I do think there is a sense that some of those who are still in power are negotiating with a lack of awareness that that is actually the context in which uh, this is taking place, uh, that the default is uh, this very um, uh, potentially destabilizing constitutional legitimacy question on December 19th. And so every effort should be made uh, to try to find a solution ahead of time. And instead, we saw these uh, tremendous... Um, missteps by the government on both process and substance. On process, uh, you know, there were clear um, runs left on the field, though a baseball analogy probably isn't the best in Congo, uh, where key leaders could have come to the table by, frankly, dropping the charges against two people, Kutubi and Moyambo, and then opening up media access. Instead, during my time there of trying to bring people into the dialogue, they go after a respected elder in the G7 and harass him on an airplane and don't let him visit his hometown. Uh, they go and arrest uh, twice as many youth, nonviolent youth activists uh, connected to Dr. McQuege as they had released before the dialogue. Um, and uh, then they seem shocked that this didn't work. And then obviously there was the, the unraveling of the schedule itself where, you know, the CENI had told me directly just a few days earlier uh, that, you know, they were looking at a calendar of March 2018 for holding these elections, which at that point was seen as the outlier on the timeline, technically speaking, the technical experts thought sooner, uh, and then suddenly on Saturday uh, almost doubled uh, those estimates, which on the very day that, that the outlines of a deal could have come together. So, you know, as we think about this, there's a lot of work to be done, not a lot of time to do it. Uh, but we still believe that if people are genuinely coming in good faith to figure out a shared path towards alternance, that these are, these are solvable uh, problems. So just to make sure I understand, the Senko has now suspended its participation in the dialogue. The, some others have as well, Jonas Chombela, for example. Uh, you still think this should be given a chance. This is not time to say, let's stop, go back to square one. I think we shouldn't get stuck on the names of dialogues or the names associated with them. As the UDPS has pointed out frequently, the dialogue was originally their idea and they called it the roadmap. Uh, then it was the president's dialogue. I think underneath all of this what we know is that the key actors need to come together and negotiate uh, a plan that is acceptable to the Congolese people and consistent uh, with the spirit and wherever possible letter of the Constitution. Um, that's, call it a dialogue, call it a negotiation, call it the Kojo dialogue, call it the AU dialogue, call it the roadmap. The names aren't important. Uh, what's important is bringing people together uh, to figure out that solution. Uh, and again, I think that's going to require some acts of good faith on all sides in an environment where good faith is hard to come by because distrust is so high. Okay, so from the international perspective, the U.S. has led, I would say, in terms of a more of aggressive strategy. The U.S. has imposed sanctions on one individual so far. Given the events in Kinshasa now, given the fact that the dialogue is, well, faltering, I think, a little bit, um, when do you think, and the U.S. has mentioned on numerous occasions that they're open to further sanctions, is that something that's going to happen soon? Uh, we certainly have made very clear... Uh, 
to the government our hopes uh, that we would not have to pursue additional sanctions because all efforts had been made on their part to uh, reopen political space and create the best possible conditions for dialogue. It's fair to say uh, those standards have not been met and we're uh, actively looking at all of the uh, policy levers we have available because the stakes are so high. Uh, the countdown, as we saw this week, uh, is one that's counted not just in days but in lives. Uh, we've heard everything from a few dozen to well over a hundred deaths. That all needs to be uh, investigated by objective uh, uh, experts. Uh, we're talking about not just the torching of buildings, but uh, opposition buildings, but uh, attack by RPGs. Um, these are uh, these are times where we desperately need steps that de-escalate the situation. And this isn't just actions; it's rhetoric. We hear from the opposition side increasingly. Um, phrases like high treason and terrorism to describe Kabila, President Kabila. And we hear from President Kabila's side insurrection to describe uh, protests that turn violent. We certainly condemn the violence. But these are not the kinds of phrases that uh, are about trying to bring people together. And the United States is going to use the levers that it has, including uh, individual sanctions, to try to check that behavior that could take this uh, into a very scary uh, direction and try to get things on the right course. And do you think, I mean, the position from some European countries has been that sanctions could have the exact opposite effect, they could escalate rather than de-escalate, they, uh, um, they could lead certain figures to dig their heels in. Is that position shifting on the European side? Is the U.S. actively seeking uh, a more aggressive stance from the Europeans? No, I'll let the Europeans speak for themselves, but I think uh, the dual hits to the government's credibility of overreaching on this deal in what was a very friendly environment and then overreacting on the protests has not only sent a lot of shockwaves through our European colleagues but our African colleagues and you've certainly heard that dominate the, the conversations here in New York uh, during the General Assembly period. I think uh, people understand that the government had an enormous period of time to try to either do the right thing or at least find uh, a better way to pursue uh, these other courses. So I think the concern is global. Um, and again, we appreciate the leadership of the African Union and the Security Council, which put out a strong statement this week. Um, and I think people realize that what has you know, largely been a, an, an incentives-only approach has not necessarily produced uh, the result of, of trying to create the best conditions for a deal. Um, and make the decisions we need to make to try to maximize the chances that the Congolese people um, get what they want, which is respect for their constitution and a chance to have a, a peaceful and democratic future. Our own country is heading into a presidential election uh, very soon with the uncertain outcome. Are you afraid that you're going to be seen as a lame duck special envoy? <laughs> Not at all. I think, first of all, uh, the Senate has made very clear on a bipartisan basis uh, that this is a policy that has great support in all the branches of government. One of the interesting things about Great Lakes policy is that it's a refuge from partisanship in a country that has become very partisan. I think there's been tremendous leadership by Republicans and Democrats, uh, House and Senate, uh, presidents of both parties to be committed. Our country has invested billions of dollars in peacekeeping efforts as well as economic development in the DRC. There's a deep love for the Congolese people. Uh, there's a tremendous admiration for the Constitution that President Kabila and his family have helped to bring into existence and a desire to see at least this chapter uh, end in a very happy way. Uh, so I think there's, there's no, uh, no lack of support uh, for the direction we've been going in. 
one final question that I have to ask. There was much made about an incident at the Kinshasa airport uh, recently, I think when you were leaving the country. Uh, you were accosted, I guess, by a Congolese parliamentarian with, from the ruling coalition. Uh, can you tell us what happened? You know, it was both uh, an extremely serious incident and kind of a silly incident uh, at the same time. Um, there was a clearly staged uh, protest send-off for me uh, on the tarmac of the airport, uh, uh, not in a sort of a public location or what else. There just happened to be a TV camera where they're waiting and, I don't know, six or eight uh, guys who ran up to, to try to act tough. And, you know, it was a huge breach of protocol. Uh, it was, you know probably meant to be a way of saying to Congolese citizens, if we'll do this to an American envoy, guess what we'll do to you? But uh, unfortunately, we already knew the answer to that from uh, past behavior, and we saw it the next day. Um, and now it's a matter of, of, uh, of documented abuses by yeah. security forces as well as others. So, you know, it's uh, our two countries get along so well, and our peoples get along so well, and, and it will outlive this incident. Um, but I think it is something also that has really offended a lot of, um, I can tell you, the number of African counterparts who've come up to me and said, this is not African hospitality. Uh, we're, we're appalled that this sort of thing would happen. Um, I think it's certainly something that has not helped the government make its case uh, uh, outside of its borders or inside of its borders. Um, but we'll keep doing what we're doing because we're committed to a successful dialogue. Uh, we're committed to a successful resolution to this crisis, and the United States is, is going to remain a, a close partner um, of finding a solution in this case. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you.